to the Golf Barons Podcast, Tenuous Links, a golf pun we're not only incredibly proud of, but one we're also sure to emulate. Let us careen through bloviated opinions on all things golf, some outrageous innovation ideas to speed up the game, a few laughs, and an historical retelling of an iconic golf moment. Time to add some swagger to your swing. Welcome, Barons, to the Tenuous Links Golf Podcast wrap-up of the US Open Championship. It certainly provided us with plenty of entertaining moments and a hell of a lot to discuss. As usual, I've got Philly and Kipper in. Boys, welcome aboard. Shooter, good to be here. Morning, afternoon, and good night, as usual. How are we? Great to see you, Kipper. Very good, boys. Philly, guys, I want to I kick off this week. I mean, it's a little bit of a playoff on last week, some of the comments I was, I'd made early on about the uh, the lack of spectators on course, and it really is a sad sight to see. So so seeing, obviously, we saw Bryson have a tremendous win, and congratulations to the, to the big fella, but I'd never really paid all that much attention to how important crowds are to a, to a golf event and how important they are to the entertainment, but- by geez, it's it's absolutely crucial. Watching, obviously, watching over at Winged Foot and Winged. I'm just giving giving it a Winged boys early. <laughs> winged Foot. It had me thinking. Imagine, just think of Tiger holding that impossible chip on 16 at Augusta in 2005. You know, one of the one of the most iconic golf images of all time. Imagine that without the roar of the crowd and him just going nuts and how strange that would look. Or if he, or if he didn't, if he didn't have a crowd, and he didn't didn't get as excited, we would have been robbed of one of the the coolest moments in golf. And I kind of felt a bit the same for Bryson winning his first major after a you know really a huge planning campaign on his own this year, but also obviously all the training and everything he's done his whole life, missing out on that moment. It just, I really, yeah, I felt horrible for it. I thought it was a it's just a sad sight. Is that a hate shooter? But- yeah, it is. Because we do have this tradition and it would be a shame to break with it just because the US Open didn't have a crowd. So that's a good hate shooter. And we did actually discuss last week this idea of is the win hollow because there weren't crowds? Are there players that will rise to the occasion? Are there players that will, will falter? And again, we, we spoke about Paul Casey's comments at the US PGA when you know, he said, I think I'll cope better not having crowds because the nerves won't come on. Do you think it affected the outcome or do you think there is enough pressure knowing what they're competing for? Kipper. I'm a big one for this being – I've got to probably be watch my words here because I don't want to detract from what Bryson did at all. I, th- I think he was a more than deserving winner. He'd been playing great all year. and So, so yeah, the end, he deserved de- deserving champion. But – the pressure, the difference in pressure, and therefore what that actually would do to an outcome, it's undeniable as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely undeniable. And, you know, like Matt Wolf, credit to him again, but like just to be in that position with, you know, you're the man's and all this carry on that goes on <laughs> the US Open, right? And, you know, Craig Parry probably would have won Augusta if it wasn't for Heckler's. Monty probably would have won six majors. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a fair point. I'm serious. I'm yeah. not even joking about that. Like, it, it, what it does to a person out there, you feel it more. And it's the same, really. We, we as again, we, we sort of touched on a little bit last week with other sports as well. It's it's just so weird. Like, so, isn't it? It's definitely a, a huge detractor for um, emotion and outcome, there's no doubt. Do you know what else was weird, Kipper, as I seamlessly move into my hate? Because I've had <laughs> enough of that one. Because it's a little bit flat, I've got to be honest. I hate quitters. And I'm not going to suggest that. There was any wrist injury at all 
to young Danny Lee, who is a superstar, <laughs> a great player. Not one of is the he a super, Is he a superstar? No, he's not. He's, a, he's an outstanding player who is better than mm-hmm. this. To six putt on 18, to then withdraw citing a wrist injury, the only thing that he would have got a wrist injury from is giving himself an <laughs> uppercut, I reckon, well, where his six putt he, he, was his longest. And I've got to tell you, the four-footer was highly makeable. The four-footer on the way back was highly makeable and did not touch the hole, followed by the other four-footer that was a bit of a drag, the next – Six footer. I mean, that, that was a disgrace. Don't quit. You're a pissant, <laughs> and that'll have to live with that for the rest of your career. So you'd want to go on to do something serious. Because I'm now on you. That's a disgrace. Anyway, <laughs> anyone else? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll chime in here. I had a good giggle watching it because all I could think of was John Daly. I just, I was, and I'm like, because I, I read the out of six parts. So I'm like, he actually must finish out here. But when the sixth part was so far away, I'm like- This could be even worse, this? yeah. Or, or does he just DQ on the sixth part? Here comes the putter throw. It went in, but yeah, but I- geez, I, It was probably more the fact that he just, he gave up. Like it was, it, it showed, it screamed of a guy who was just beaten by the course. Like he'd given up, the course had beaten him and he just, he'd given in. Mm. And well, look, the, when, you, when you're watching the later parts and he was rushing it and- you just thought, mate, if you took half a second, like you had to feel for him because he was obviously- No, you, you, no, you, you don't have to feel for him. No, he, in that he, instant, hang on, Phil, no, let me get through this. Because I'll no? tell you what okay. he'd done as a good young man. I'm giving him nothing. <laughs> he'd ground his way through two rounds to make the cut and he'd had an up and down round, round in round three, but comparatively was not going to come last by 15 shots. It wasn't like there was this blowout, but something clicked and, again, I've heard- that there are other issues at play, and I'm sorry if there are other issues at play, but to me, you're a quitting pissant, and that's unacceptable. <laughs> it's absolutely unacceptable on the global stage around golf is that it's okay to sook and walk off and just- It's the throwing the clubs and the and cracking it. And that, that's the stuff I've always had a problem with. It's one of the problems I've had problem, uh, a problem with, with Rory for a long time. I think he gets let off with these anger spurts and childish, petulant kind of kind of moves. Everyone can make mistakes and you can implode a little bit mentally on the course and, and miss some stuff. But it's when you, it's when you start to- to act like an absolute child who just doesn't get his way, and then then to withdraw, yeah, that's uh, yeah. Well, I don't know why. I, should, I don't think I really would would have said this usually, but I actually don't mind the tantrums and the and the you know real anger and the smacking clubs. And We've smacking noticed bags. the lack of effort, as Phil's sort of pointing out, and then therefore the DQ, which is a, a you know a bit of a pee heart. That yeah, I think everyone has an issue mm-hmm. with. And remember, remember McElroy did this right? when he when he spat the chips when he changed all of his equipment to Nike and then couldn't find the face of the earth. And started shooting eighties. Started throwing clubs he, into he, lakes and absolutely. Well, well, he started DQing. Mm-hmm. Remember, he had the old tantrum. Yeah, bit, but he 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 did the old sook up as well. Um, so it's not it's not new. And I, I've seen it. You know, for years on tour, when you're playing with a person on the final day, not so much the day three, but the final day, when they, you know, they could try their ass off for the for the next nine, twelve holes and not really get any any you know uh, movement on the on the scoreboard, or they could just literally make bogeys and doubles and not care. And I've seen that a lot, and it's annoying when you're playing with those people because it's like, oh god, this is tiring. So but um, withdraw, yeah, withdraw so- under the state versus shit bloke ruling of 1967. <laughs> not under the I've got a wrist injury because I'm about to when I get back to my hotel yes. room. I mean, you just yeah. – like that's my issue is, is that like have your six putts and pull the pin but just yeah. say, look, I, I'm just not up to it, okay? Yeah. I'm just not up uh, to uh, it. Uh, but don't give me a wrist injury. I, correct. And I also think I think that's why we fell in love with Big John, didn't we? Because he would just say that. Yeah. He goes, 
I just don't want to play tomorrow. Yeah, that's it. So I'm going to throw <laughs> the, my putter the, in the yeah, lake and right. we're going to move on. But Kipper, <laughs> enough of my hates. Kipper, have you got no, a hate well, for us? Well, Oh, I, I do. I just hate the fact that the big uh, the big Tigger isn't contending in every single event that he's entering. Are you still going on this? You'll never let this go, will you? I can't, and I'm, I've got to let it go. I know I do because he, he he's never going to contend in every event anymore. But as soon as I, I flicked on the scores, day one, saw he wasn't in the hunt. Oh, he was a bit in day one, but then day two, then I'd have switched off. Oh, I wasn't even interested. And that's not good. So I've got to get my head around that, and I'm sure there's millions of people like that that are just wanting another major and another major, but... He he was always a gift that kept giving, and I've, I've got to let it go. Did you feel so Did you feel the same way when Greg Norman started to wane in his career? As a as not, he was not, your idol, wasn't he growing up? So he, he he was. I didn't actually feel the same way about Greg because Greg had had an unbelievable career, but then was never on the precipice of greatness except for Augusta. That one day in. That we don't, we don't speak that's, about that's it. Spring. Yeah. But that Seriously one day in April that we can't, ever, we can't ever talk about is that haunts everyone that's Australian. It's the Voldemort <laughs> of golf. I mean, he is the, that is it the is. round oh, that can't be it. named. He's the, this is, no, he, it is Voldemort. Anyway, can so, we- so, so we can't talk about that. But other than that, like it, it's just a want from Tiger. Like, you know, I heard it said really well by a couple of commentators where they said he just gave for so many years. And you just got to used to seeing, you know, unbelievable, well, efforts we'll never see again. And so, therefore, you know, after Augusta last year, you're like, come on. But, yeah, anyway, that's my hate is that he's not in every tournament. <laughs> but, Kipper, if you've got a hate, have mm. you got a love? I do. I can switch that. Ooh, you and say, like it. Finally, I'm pumped that long driving is getting the kudos really deserves. Now, it's a bit of a funny one because Bryson's getting all the, I guess, the accolades for this going, oh, look what he's done. He's put on yardage and that's now changing the game and all the rest of it. But if you look at the longest drive or the greatest players that have ever lived, all of them were bombers. Like mm. Tiger was dwarfing the field when he hit the, Jack Nicholas was out of control. There's even rumours that, not rumours, facts that Hogan used to enter long drive comps, right? And he was only bloody wee man, but he would enter long drive comps because he could out hit everyone mm. with his club at speed. So, Long hitting is is something that's it's been a major like I guess asset to being the best player that ever lives, and it's only because Bryson was a decent hitter and then made himself a long hitter that he's getting this. Um, it's it's the story or, behind him. Yeah. It's a story behind it, mm. right? But Jesus Christ, look at DJ Kepka. I mean, they're not far behind him. <laughs> I reckon there's a fair chance we're going to explore this issue a little bit later on because it's a really good look. It's a really good love, Kipper. Mm. But I do as I say. and also just to quickly end on it, the thing I love about it as well is. <laughs> I've been in this injury for 25, 30 years now, and, and all that anyone's ever done at a driving range is try to beat the cover off a ball, right? <laughs> you never see anyone walk in there, you know, warming up with a putter, right? No one's doing that, right? They're all straight to the driving range, dump their bucks of ball, and launching driver. And now that's going to continue even for the rest of life, right? That's good. And there was a good conversation as well about, you know, if you're teaching a kid growing up, and I can't remember who it was, said it, but if your kid's getting into golf, teach them to swing it as hard as they possibly can, mm. as if this is a new theory. Now, I don't want to get stuck yeah. into what we're talking about later <laughs> on, and yeah. I'll probably – no, in fact, I won't pause it there. As if this is a new theory, read Golf My Way, Jack Nicholas's yeah. book, because it actually <laughs> exactly states right. quite clearly, learn to hit it as hard as you can. And we'll worry about yeah, where it's right. going from there. And but that, that was scientifically backed up in um, in Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers as well, Phil. Where it's there's a, and there's a certain age bracket where 
kids need to just go absolutely all out, whether it's sprinting, whether it's kicking a football, whether mm. it's swinging, you know, hitting a cricket ball, hitting serving, a golf ball, yeah. um, serving everything, do it as hard as you can. And it apparently helps at the other end in a massive way. Well, so. And we won't go down the uh, obviously the technical path on this, other than what I will say. <laughs> yeah, because I can't comment on it. it. <laughs> yeah, is, is, is that when you swing it really well, the physics in terms of how you release a golf club happen at the same low point every time, right, if you're doing it correctly. Now, when a kid gets a club and swings at flat knacker, they haven't got the strength in their forearms, their biceps and all their phalanges to actually change what happens at impact, whereas adults can. Good, adults good can, use of phalanges. phalanges yeah, yeah, <laughs> I see the fingers going on. Yeah, basically that – You've thrown me using your <laughs> hands to hit a ball. You can't do it, right? The levers actually start to unload the club the way it should. So, point is, yeah, like there, there is real merit in smacking the crap out of it, as good old Bryson has um, has put to yeah. the forefront. Yeah. Good love, good love, boys. My love this week is a pretty simple one, but it's a it's a deep one. It's become deep very quickly. I am in love. There we go. I am absolutely in love with that course, winged foot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Seriously. <laughs> The, the just the quirkiness of the greens. I mean, it's it's completely. It's such a unique design. I mean, square greens. I never never thought of square greens, and now I can't get them out of my mind. I have to play some square greens. And, and Phil, I know you're you're on a quest to get us around a bit of uh, square action. Obviously, I don't want to play it as tricked up as it was on the weekend, and maybe not quite as narrow with my uh, my occasionally wayward driving boys but other than that it's got to be it's so high on my dreaming list and and I just can't wait till we can actually get over there and see it it looked magnificent on TV well, do, you, do you think you'd like triangle greens Honestly, I started to think in my head, what other kinds of shaped <laughs> greens could we do that would just be crescent greens? Could we put a rock man. in the middle of a green? Yeah. Could we do a rhombiocyto <laughs> dodecahedron? We can't do all it. sorts of shaped <laughs> greens would be magnificent. So anyway, that's my love. Uh, it's a really good love, and and just mm. because we're going to have a, a guest, hopefully at some stage, who'll be able to talk about some square greens and cornered greens. But I can tell everyone out there, if you happen to be coming to Australia, living in Australia, living in Victoria, you might want to keep your eye on Lonsdale Links because just mm. down the Bellarmine Peninsula, I can tell you there are some greens with corners on their way. Now, my love, just because we do have a lot to get through, I've got two quotes here from two people, humble and class personified, and that's Eddie Pepperell. And Max Homer, and look, you all might have seen them, but I'm going to read them out. Eddie Pepperell, upon reflection and despite playing like a right donut, I would do it all again at winged foot. It's simply an awesome golf course. Can't think of any course that tests you in so many ways. Thanks, USGA, for humbling me at the same time as invigorating me. A great quote. I think that is just that last bit particularly is just so beautifully said. Like you've, you've smashed me in the face. I chose not to have six putts on 18, pretend I had a wrist injury and run away. <laughs> I liked the challenge. That was a tweet, was it, Phil? Yeah, I it was particularly like, and that was from Eddie Pepperell. And then uh, the partic- from- uh, sorry, just on Pepperell, I just wanted to point out I'm, I'm quite impressed that he spelled donut correctly, O U G H. So I, I did want to want to give him a shout out for that. Good work, Eddie. <laughs> well done, Eddie. You're highly educated, or so is your manager. Anyway, Max Homer, and I particularly like this because this sums everything up. Playing wing foot is like going for a run. You're optimistic to start. You're almost immediately pissed off. There's a lot of heavy breathing. The views are great. You're wondering why you did this to yourself. There's some self-hate involved. Finishing is euphoric. You're going to do it again. So two guys who got beaten up by the golf course but understood what it was all about, Mm. not whinging Mm. about Bryson, whinging about this, and we'll get on to some sooking later on, 
but just two guys, all class, just loved it. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. And yeah, it's, it's a nice challenge to actually hear a player talk about, I guess, not playing great and, and being reasonably upbeat about the fact mm. that they just didn't have it that week. You know, normally they just, as you say, there's a bit of sooking going on, but uh, that's, that's quality from the how, how much of this has been sort of pushed by the social media managers and things of these players? Because over the last oh, – at least the last five or six years, we've had so much bitching and moaning from players leading into a US Open about how how hard the course is set up and how unfair it is. And and they got a lot of negative feedback from, and rightly so, from spectators and fans of the game. How much of it is being driven from, and not, not to not to undermine the two you've just said there, Phil, I'm not trying to you know say that they're not being, being honest, but I just mean like how much of it is being pushed or did they get awake, uh, you know, a bit of a slap in the head and say, hey, guys, this is a privilege to be out here. Find the positive in this and enjoy it. No, I think they just want an invite back. You don't get they- invited to a US Open, though. No, no, but they'll learn it. No, no, this is- You can get invited anywhere, shooter. So the wording, you can actually sit, look, I don't know, either from a bar or site, I mean, they know me, but who doesn't? The wording is so genuine that this is not a manager prompting them. You can actually- feel them saying it, they're stood by their words and it's yeah. their fantastic words and sentiment. But everybody was really full of praise for winged foot, just like they were pr- full of praise for Olympia Fields in that same way. I mean, it's just a fantastic golf course that was set up beautifully that they can get. They start to get a little bit of this history of the designer and where it all came from and why things are done a certain way. And again, all these other things that we're going to touch on just about course design and, and everything else. But I'd like to think, maybe I'm naive, I'd like to think, that they just said, you know what, this is how I feel and I'm going to tell people how I feel, as opposed to a manager going, look, we've actually just got to get your photo back in a, mm. a press release, so let's just say something nice. No, it was it was a quick response, a very quick response, which is kind of – in you know a little bit against what we're uh, what we've got to talk about here, boys, because the pace of play is something that was so obviously a problem and in need of fixing, and it's a joke. And it starts it starts with the with the guy who uh, who was holding the cup at the end of the day. I just don't know for the life of me. I feel it might be able to answer this because he, he is he does know a thing or two about a thing or two. Mm-hmm. But why aren't they legitimately timed? Here's what I believe: is that they're timed, but the courage of Putting a penalty because they were they were put on the clock on round three. I reckon yeah. put on the clock. I, I and there's no way they I, I, caught I, up time. There's absolutely no way they exactly, caught up time. Exactly right. But it's just this uh, fear of of penalising people. And I want to make this point because there was a great great man from my history, and it was one of my best friends of all time. His old man, Jeff Giles, was a golf pro in Victoria. With Paddy Giles, no, no relation father? to Big Pat. But first, oh. the first golf pro to ever be penalised for slow play in Victoria. 1968. Now, I'm not saying they haven't done anything about uh, slow play in that time, but if he gets fined or penalised as a, given a penalty stroke in 1968 and in 2020 we're still talking about the same issue, then <laughs> bugger me timbers. Now, I don't know whether we've got to have timed – I mean, you don't want to get it days. to the point of timed putts. You don't want to get it to the point of all these other things. But if green reading books – and, Kippy, you'll know this as a caddy – if they oh, yes. act screen reading books, putting speeds up. And the, you know what the number of crap putts? I'll tell you what Danny Lee. Danny Lee had a green reading book. <laughs> Danny Lee knew his first putt was not going to turn three inches right to left based on the green reading book, based on holding up four fingers or three fingers or whatever the bloody hell that method is, mm. by looking at the ground and by watching every other prick putt in the practice rounds. 
Yeah. It's it's an amazing one. That, oh, there's so many points to this. I don't even know where to start. But the green reading books are that that work should all be done while you're waiting for a start. And, and then the clock thing, going back to that, because I just can't let it go. I just don't understand how it's it's just not simple. The button gets pushed and then the button gets pushed again and you're either over or you're under, you get a warning, you maybe even get two, and then you're done. They just they just don't do it. I just don't get it. I just, I, I'm for life now. It worked with it. the eight-second challenge. That's all I'm going to say. You know what? Yeah. It continued to work. <laughs> I, I've got to tell you, I mean, I'm not sure who won that, but why to be seen. <laughs> you, know how they do shot, you know how they do shot clocks in um, now in footy as well, and, and uh, oh, you know, obviously yeah. basketball's the biggest one of all. Like, I don't know if it could be that obvious, but you know how – when you, you you walk and you've got the board carrier and every on that on the um quiet please yeah, sign just, just counting down <laughs> wouldn't that be good what's got you it will it's, it's I don't know like it's it, I don't know I just I just cannot believe that it cannot be so simple Peter just, Peter Costas another quote from, coming out of the week I've really seen a slow player affected by a fast player but mm. I've seen plenty of fast players affected by slower players yeah, just saying and so the the reality is is that and this is not an anti this is not an anti-Bryson thing. This is an anti-establishment thing. It's saying you have a problem, fix it. A- mm. And when you get a group that five holes out or six holes out on day three are warned about slow play, yet yeah. that to, to my eye anyway, they don't a- appear to be catching up any ground, what is the trigger? And I think it is fear of the, the backlash and fear of the players, potentially the players' union, who knows what it is. Or if the timing starts the minute you grab a club, as it should have been in the eight second, or the minute you – step onto the green, then they'll do all their work standing just on the rough. I mean, they'll manipulate a way yeah. of getting it done. That's exactly. the they, they, they may, you're right, Phil, but they, they could in, include certain things like even a 10-yard rule when you're within 10 yards of your ball. But if you're not within 10 yards of the ball, then you're guessing your yardage, aren't you, right? Within, and, and pros will never guess it within two or three yards. They won't take that pump, right? So if there's a circle, a circled area, let's call it, you know, within in range of your golf ball on a fairway, as soon as you cross that zone, clock's on. And you're told, like, it's not it's not rocket science. They just don't do it. And it's very, very annoying. We played with, well, not me, I was caddying for Bads in Scandinavia with Bernard, right? And he's a- Hold on a minute. Serial. Hang on a minute. Ding, ding, go on. Yeah, yeah, serial time time issuer. Right? We, we know that, but he's also one of the greatest players that's ever lived. But the fact of the matter is, when you play with Bernard and he's as slow as he is, it's it's actually so hard for you to play your own game, even if you're a quick player, right? Because mm. if if it's like it's amazing, like when you get put on the clock with him, because all of a sudden, like he takes forever and whatever, and then the clock starts straight away on you. And, and you've got to kind of rush to hit your shot, even though you were so prepared. It's, it's really frustrating. So I, I think they just need to start actually policing it in a mandatory way on every group, on every tee box and on every part. If you saw on 14, and, and I know it was probably going to come up later on with Bryson and his caddy <laughs> shoot. Some things take a long time, don't they, Kipper? Anyway, <laughs> anyway Shooter, over to you. <laughs> No, I was going to say, lads, before we before we get into today's top topics, thinking I'm going to need a little bit of thinking juice tonight. I'm bringing back an old favourite, Phil. We're bringing back golf tipples. Yeah, she's back, back by popular demand. <laughs> or unpopular from, demand. <laughs> well, from me, and I've um, so I've created, I've actually created a club specific drink for my newfound love, Winged Foot. And if you boys look on your screens, you will see. 
what I have a little, what she looks like. And um, here we go. This could be a technical glitch oh, here. No, 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 I'm back. No, here it's coming through. Now, I'm not sure whether one already exists at Winged Foot. And if it does, well, uh, unlucky because this one is going to take precedence. Now, as gin can be found in the wind of winged foot, uh, the word G-I-N, I've decided to use that as my base spirit. So you've got to stay, got to stay with it. It's got to be connections everywhere. And to be honest, it's probably more because I received a bottle of uh, 708 gin this week, boys, <laughs> rocked up at my place. I thought I'd find a way to get it back into the podcast. So anyway, this delightful blend of gin and bitter lemon. So that's, that's the mixer. And that mixer is... It's a bit of a reminder of uh, Phil Mickelson's final hole meltdown in 2006 <laughs> uh, with the double bogey. I mean, he, he must have been incredibly bitter after that round, and oh, the tenuous. shot could only be described as a lemon. So, bit of lemon as a mixer, absolute <laughs> no-brainer. And I had to come up with the name of the cocktail, because you know, you know the name of the cocktail is incredibly important. So, I've gone with an anagram of winged foot. There was a few that were out there, but I wanted to pay a bit of homage to the great Ogilvy and his victory there in 06. So it's called the Down It Jeff. Well, Down It Jeff, because there's only one F in Wingfoot. <laughs> but, but I'm pretty sure he dropped an F when he saw Phil's T-shirt. So, so it all ties in nicely. It's served in a, in a tall, <laughs> narrow glass to replicate, as you can see, to replicate the uh, the fairways at Winged Foot, despite Kipper telling us they were really, really wide. And it's garnished. No, no, no. The, the and, area and is it's wide. Garnished with a little bit of fresh mint, uh, just to symbolise Jeff's mint major. That's about as tenuous as I can get, boys, but it's perfect for a post golf tipple, post round tipple, and it tastes. Yes, how is it? Like victory. Because I'm drinking remotely and you're drinking for real, and that's quite painful. But I just want to point out the genius of the – so let just the winged foot, the name of it again, Damo. Is the Down at Jeff, one F, Down at Jeff. Which uses every letter from winged foot other than the F that he dropped when there he watched Milkson's ball sail into the tent. <laughs> that is outstanding. That, that is, is actually genius. It's it's anything to have a couple of beverages <laughs> on set. And, uh, <laughs> you have had some time in COVID. Oh, jeez. That's the other way, the other way the to get food. Just quietly, the 708 gin, you know, nice one of the film. owners, good Australian gin from Western Australia uh, and goes very well from all reports. It's bloody beautiful. Oh, bloody beautiful. Absolutely there you go. There's a beautiful. Australian response. I'll, I'll be straight up pretty, uh, pretty Francis about it. It will be getting another run felt. <laughs> we, sure. We'll put that up on social media with a recipe. We will. They're down at Jeff. But we have got some serious things to discuss. We do. So let's get back let's get back into the real things. Phil, do you wanna you wanna throw a uh, a top topic at us? I have got I've got a few of them here. So let's just go with whatever happens. US Open in autumn. First time outside of June and outside of the US summer since nineteen thirty one. How did it affect the course and the conditions, the score? I mean, all this build up like you know, you think the the traditional summer or more to the point what would a midsummer winged foot have been like? Yeah, well, I don't know if it would have done anything much other than made the, the rough, claggier. That's about it. All right, thicker and claggier. But I don't know. Like, it's uh, it, it just did, it, the boys didn't seem to have that much trouble getting out of it, which was surprising to me. I mean, Bryson only hit not even uh, he hit 12 or 54 fairways or something coming into the third round, fourth round. So, yeah, look, I don't know. That's probably all it could have is done. It, is it possible that although they can trick up the greens and make them a lot, you know, the sort of similar speed on the stint meters and all that sort of stuff, is because of the time of the year and, and the extra rain or whatever they might get, is it going to – is that where you're going to see the difference? It's going to be a little bit a little bit easier from – you know, a little bit softer from the coming in from the fairways or or is that just – is that just – 
No, no, I think, I think you're valid there too. You only have to, like, I mean, you know how bad it is playing, you know, courses in Australia in the middle of the summer versus the springtime or autumn. They're totally different beasts. Mm. And, and when they trip up US Open greens, which are quite hard and firm, you're getting the same thing. So there's no doubt the receptiveness would, would apply to that. And it's arguably reflected in the score as well when you consider the winning winning total, which there might be other reasons, obviously, as well, which you, we can talk about. But six under when you compare the last – Few at um, winged foot were what, what were they plus plus four, four to plus seven yeah, over the last three times. So yeah. it, it's obviously, I mean, Other it, it might well be a factor. But he he but he was the only one there really. Yeah. Well, and that and that gets on, and we'll, we'll discuss that in a minute. But Davis Love was was the other one. I think he was eleven under when he won the PGA. That could you know if I've made up that number correctly from something else that I just caught out. Say it with authority, Phil. <laughs> but so so there is always these outliers. But I think you know if we think about Tiger at Pebble. He was an outlier there too and, and, you know, was there significant uproar after Pebble. So I think you, you have to look at the overall conditions. But it was more just the fact that the rough did look lush. So in a, in a hot summer, a hot mm. US summer, a hot windy summer, my, my gut feel is that the rough would be wispier but therefore, Kipper, as you mentioned in the last podcast, the ability to find all the lies in the th- thick rough seem to be relatively consistent. I won't say they're always perfectly the same, but they're relatively mm. consistent. Potentially in the middle of summer, in a June US Open at Wingfoot, the likelihood of gone going a, an unlucky break in the rough to a lucky break in the rough might have been different. And, and not only that, patrons. I mean, we you know they don't trample down the rough on the wide tee shots. They weren't there, although there was a lot of noise yeah. from people who weren't there. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah, good point by me. Anyway, that was one of my favourite topics. <laughs> Has anyone else got one more interesting? <laughs> well, we did touch last week on the players being – or on the winner was was he likely to be the, uh, the the player with the best caddy. So I guess that's the question to throw back to. Did we find out who had the best caddy? I'm going to say that I think it proved that caddies don't really do a hell, hell of a lot, gentlemen. <laughs> that's going to suck. Because uh, I do – I don't know if you saw it, but on the on the final day you had Bryson – what was he uh, – it was the 14th. I'm 14th. pretty sure it was. And he, and he asked, his, um, asked his caddy for a 48 degree and handed him the club and Bryson straight away, straight away just gave it the old, no, that's the 55 degree, hand, handed it back to him. So he couldn't even, couldn't even give him the right club. That's all. He had one job. He had one yeah. job. And I must be honest, it's, should it, from watching that, he's rattling the clubs around in the bag like someone who didn't know what he was nervous. looking for in the he first was place. So, he looked so they nervous. They were clanging he? like he was trying to put off. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. Seve, if Seve was a caddy trying to accidentally bang clubs together to put off his playing partner his opponent he had no idea what he was looking for i think he almost just started pulling out random clubs to the point where bryson in the end changed the club and i think he went back he said oh look maybe just give me the pitch but that's one of the challenges in everyone else's golf bag you've got two <laughs> indicators one is what's stamped on the bottom the two <laughs> is that little thing about the length of them <laughs> whereas he's there going oh is that a six or a nine i don't know what i'm doing but, but wouldn't wouldn't but that I, be a, I, would I, that I, not be a story that if he um he ends up hitting the, the club he's given first i mean he did actually he pulled it he pulled it short left i think anyway but just say that he messes it up there and then that story comes out later that he had the wrong club handed the wrong club and it's cost him oh man would you hear, never hear the end of it but i reckon i reckon there's two types of caddies on that us tour it's it's guys that you know are really i guess reliant or i should say players and caddies 
the players are really reliant on their caddy mm-hmm. and, they, and they, you know, ask them everything and it's it's crossed off and double-checked and blah, blah, blah. And those that actually just trust themselves and the caddy is just, a, as you say, a glorified bag carrier. <laughs> because if you do trust yourself, you're fine, really, aren't you? You yeah. just need someone to walk around and, and away you go. And But if you do need that sounding board, you better be good at it. Um, I remember with Hal, Hal, you'll love this one, with Hal Sutton one year at Augusta, we got got on the 11th hole, I'm, I'm caddying for Bads and we're right next to each other and it's Hal's go just first. He's about half a yard further back. And he's like, he says to his caddy, what are you thinking? And the caddy goes, oh, I don't know, what do you like? <laughs> and Hal goes, well, I probably like a like a seven iron. And he's, he goes, yeah, yeah, seven iron's good. And he goes, well, but seven iron might get up in the wind. Do you think I should hit six iron? He goes, yeah, maybe you, hit, you should hit six iron. And Hal's like, well, what one do you think I should hit? Six or seven? And the caddy turns around and goes, I like whatever you like. <laughs> Be the right club today. <laughs> and Bads grabs me on the shirt and leans in close and he goes, if you ever say that to me, I'll fire you on the spot. <laughs> at least we've, at least so, we've worked out why well, Albie fired you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which time? But the question yeah. I've got, so, so listening to the interactions between Bryson and his caddy, I would say his caddy is not a bad carry. I mean, he was down – with all mm. the terminology, unless he was just throwing out numbers to make mm. it sound like he was smart. Like Bryson had thrown 21, 38, 46, E plus, and he'd come back with mm. 11, 24, 9. Mm. But it, it seemed that they both knew what they were yeah. talking about. So I think one of the challenges of catting, and again, I'm trying to be as as derogatory towards <laughs> caddies as I can be, <laughs> but the challenge for catting for a guy like Bryson would be significantly harder potentially than to caddy for a guy like Tiger because you just have to get every nuance of what's going on. And when when Bryson came off the course after round three and was talking about some of his challenges about, you know, this disconnect he had between perceiving his reality and, you know, needing to breathe, you know, the oxygen's a little bit different and, and all these other things, which, yeah, I mean, I did throw up a couple of times. His caddy's got to put up with that for mm. seven hours mm. a day. There's no, way, there's no way on earth that Bryson, who, who's – you know, he's across absolutely everything. He's trying to limit um, any kind of variable out there is going to have a subpar caddy. There's just not a chance on earth that the guy hasn't gone through 15. He's probably he's probably had to sit through um, calculus uh, sessions and all sorts of stuff just to, to work out. Or well, like I said, uh, or he just trusts one person. Yeah, well, that's yeah. true as well. The um, he, he actually has a master's in neurolinguistic programming too, the caddy, so I reckon he should be okay because he gets what he's trying to say. <laughs> but my next question about caddying, Kipper, if Bones is on Matt Wolf's bag in the last round, does he play any differently? Yeah, well, I don't think Matt Wolf is that good left-handed. So I would have said that uh, <laughs> didn't didn't work. It didn't work for Phil in you know six, did it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, look, wing foot's uh, not the best uh, example. Let's yeah. just uh, no, but go on. Ser- that's a serious question. Best well, caddy in the world. Honestly, it's it's a really it's a it's a, it's a two answers to the, to that question. It probably made no no difference, right? But it, but it could, right? And and thanks, Dan. This, I mean, so, so, exactly right. So there's there's the, there's the biggest fence you'll ever see, but I've seen players that have no reliance on a caddy whatsoever play pretty good down the or very good down the stretch, right, and win accordingly. And I've seen other players have a have a shit caddy that's cost them an event, right? Out and out cost them the tournament. Right? Was Allenby so, uh, one of them, or <laughs> just asking? Yeah, no, no, I cost Allenby every tournament, so that's, that's my fault. Even the ones he won. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> Even the ones that, that he's playing in You would have won by now. <laughs> it's still my fault. No, but what you're trying to do, I think, as a team is limit stuff-ups. That, that, that's, that's really what you're trying to do. So, 
you know, whether, you know, Dishambe's caddy, you know, got the wrong club out of the bag and blah, blah, blah. But having a really professional caddy on your bag, Matt Wolf obviously having bones, you're going to limit the amount of times as a team you stuff up. Mm-hmm. And that's all it's about, mitigating issues. These guys are that good. I remember the first time that I ever met, or I shouldn't say met, but ever played with Tiger, Tiger and Stevie in a practice round and, and I was asking Stevie all these questions because I was young and didn't know a thing, wanted to learn heaps. And I said, Stevie, what do I, what's the main thing I need to know about cutting? You know, out of all the things, you know, your air temperature, blah, 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 what do I need to know? And he goes, you need to know that they do not need you, right, to shoot one of the best scores in the world. They don't need it. I said, they, this guy, these guys are that good. They can go and shoot six or nine under around any course, any day of the week without you, right? He said, what they need you for is when you're walking down – the, well, I guess the back nine on a Sunday and you've got a tournament on the line, they need to be able to play like you're not there. And I'm like, yeah, right. And it made a lot of sense because, like, you've got to help them and let them be in their own space, right? And whatever that is, all these players are different. You need to read that player, if you're good at it, so well that you can let them be them, right? And they, they will. They'll, they'll just fly. If you get in their way and clear out their judgment and, and cause them issues, then, yeah, you, you can cost them an event. My defence attorney uttered something similar Friday of our last court hearing uh, when he said, you, know, that <laughs> you only need me when things are going wrong. <laughs> you um, got off otherwise, those, so. But I, I think what threw me with Matt Wolf's caddy just on the last point, and, and I'm not saying he did a poor job, because in reality Matt Wolf shot 65 having hit two fairways. Again, mm. which is one of our next topics. But I think the hoodie threw me. And it's interesting what you get used oh. to seeing. Yeah. Now, if I'm if I'm potentially – and this is just a, because I'm a snob. Now, I've got no dress sense, as has been pointed out over and over, but I am a snob. So if you're about to caddy for your man winning the US Open, walking up 18, mm-hmm. and you're yeah. wearing a hoodie, I don't give two shits that it says US Open at Wingfoot on the front of it. I care that the wind is being caught by something and potentially holding you back on the back of it. So there's a point where I think you dress for success. You walk into a meeting mm. and a bloke's got an Armani suit on and another bloke walks in with short and a T-shirt before either open their mouth, your perception of the one you're going to pay attention to is going to be the bloke who's dressed to the nines. Yeah, and I think also too, we used to have dress codes. Now, that was- Back in my day, we used to have <laughs> yeah. dress codes. So, so I don't know, like- Mind you, I never did ask if I could wear a hoodie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't say that. You, don't act like maybe, you wouldn't have. Maybe, <laughs> that's right. I was going to say maybe you're allowed. All those massive right, pants so. with stars on the side and a whistle hanging around your neck. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the old three stripe out of that. Way I go. Next topic I've got on my list because I'll go because I spoke. Where does this leave Tiger and Phil regarding majors? And is Augusta Tiger's only hope from here? I think it's his best hope from here. I don't think I wouldn't say it's his only hobby. One thing I've learned as a golf journalist for better part of the last decade is you just you do not write Tiger off at any point. I know, yeah. I, I know there'll be a, a time where he can barely walk, and there is there's never been I've never seen a sportsman fight back as many times as as he has, and someone who doesn't need to. So I, I think I think he's yes, the Masters is his best chance. I can also see him winning um, winning an Open Championship. I know he's won several already, but he that just tends to be a real thinking yeah. golfer's tournament major, and and I think Tiger thinks better than anyone. I think he's. I think you're spot on there, mate. I think the two that he's going to struggle with forever now is is Opens and PGAs because yeah. of the way they yeah, set them up. Yeah. 
But further to your point about him sort of, you know, I guess always giving and, and, and you can't ever write him off is, you know, a year and a half ago when he came out of his, obviously all his issues, you know, he contended in three of those four majors and won one. And it's only been COVID and, and the lack of time. When he was out here for the President's mm. Cup when we went and seen him play in the last year, there wasn't a better player there. Yeah. There, there was no better player there. I mean, Patrick Reed was close, as you say. He was flushing it. But I still would have backed Tigger for the week if there was a tournament. And it's just been, I think, lack of, you know, play and competitiveness and maybe not finding his, his game entirely over the last eight and months. And crowd. He plays off crowds better than anyone. Yeah. Yeah, yes, yeah. So, no, I, I don't think he's dead, and that's why the start of the show, my uh, hate being him not being in contention, I'm still open. Um, well, then look out for because having thought about the question, which was a bit of a Dorothy Dixit because I've, I've got my own answer, is that obviously the Masters is he's a good chance. Two zero two two Open Championship, St. Andrews. I, like I think that. if you could back him now, mm. you just he just has more shots. Look, Bryson has got this method and Brooks has got a method and DJ's got a method. They don't have the variety of shots that Tiger has. Yeah. Or and the other one I'd say is Bubba. The difference is that Tiger knows pretty well where they're going. They've got the same variety. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you've got to have that imagination as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking 2022, jump. On him now, Open Championship, St Andrews. The only thing that concerned me uh, about Tiger's play a little bit, and I don't know if it, what it was, like, I'm not, a, not privy to any of the stuff he's working on, but he's shaping the ball a lot. And I've never seen him in his entire career shape the ball as much as he is right now. And that normally screams of a player who can't control their flight properly, except Bubba. You know, Bubba that's, he does that all the time. But anyone that's starting to shape a ball, starting at outside fairway lines and tree lines and trying to bring it into the into the fairway, normally is lacking confidence. And that, that really surprised me this week. Because JT had a similar issue. I mean, he just kept – he started missing every fairway right. And it was like you, you can see when doubt creeps in. And even Matsuyama, who I was about to call Mariyama for the 35th time. But Matsuyama, <laughs> who's got that, that really distinctive almost pause at the top mm. of his swing, you could just see the transition was getting quicker. It was quicker. I actually noticed it. Yeah, I, I yeah. made a note of that myself, though, and, yeah. And I think two things happen when you've got a, a course that starts to get on your mind with rough, right, is that, you know, Tigger knows, obviously, he's back and his body isn't what, what it used to. He can't blast out like he used to, right? So every time he's in that rough, he's putting his wrists and his body in, uh, under duress. So therefore, hitting a fairway becomes a little bit more prevalent, whereas someone like a Bryson or Wolf or these guys that are young and couldn't give two, two shits, really, they just launch into it. If it finds a rough, which it did most times, they just deal with mm. it like he used to. So, I, I, yeah, I, I agree with that. The Masters and the, and the Opens, I think they're his big hits. What do we think about the result, guys? Bryson, Bryson winning, is it a good thing for golf? Yes. Phil? What are the upsides, Dees? Because I don't disagree with you. I love the fact that we're talking about it. Mm. I love the fact it's not boring. I love the fact that he's challenging conventional ways of thinking and proving some things to be kind of uh, useful. I love everything about it. I, do I like the guy's attitude and probably the person? I don't know him, but I don't think I like his general, what do you Demeanor. call it? Demeanor. Him. <laughs> yeah, the him. Um, yeah, the him. But, but geez, I love what he's done. I love it. Well, yeah, I re- see, I reckon too much is being made of, his, of, of the length game with Bryson. Absolutely. It's far Absolutely. too much. I mean, without the other components, if, he, if he's not getting the other stuff firing, especially right. his putting, then he's just he's just another one of these long hitters who who can't get it yeah. done. Which we've seen. I mean, the game's littered with those types. I just think it completely undersells him. If you just mm. look at, I mean, look at some of the comparisons yeah. from Wingfoot. So of the of the the top twelve place getters, among those you had Louis Oosthuizen, 
By the way, boys, we'll get back. We'll get back to that. We won't well, get we, back to that. We well, had, uh, had to throw that in there. But, didn't he? Great pick. So great Louis, pick. so Louis turn, um, comes third. Well, he he was thirty ninth in driving distance. You've got Harris English mm. uh, fourth, who was twenty fourth in driving distance. Xander, your boy, thirty uh, second. But then you've got like still in that mm. in that that group of players. You've got Zach Johnson, who's one of the shorter hitters on tour, finishing mm. T eight with Webb Simpson, who was forty fifth in driving distance. Zach was what have I got? I've got this here somewhere. He was. 61st in driving distance. So of the top dozen, only five of those finishers were inside the top 10 in driving distance for the week. And only one of the the other seven in the top 12 finishers was was inside the top 30 for driving distance. So to say that it's that it's they've just monstered it. Now, fair enough, he was a long way ahead in the end. But to say that they've monstered it, the, the course, I think it doesn't pay tribute to what Bryson really did. I mean, he was third. Okay, third. Here's a stat for you. He was third in stroke strokes gained putting. Now that's obviously had a massive a massive yeah, point. He putted to do his it. ass off. He chipped yeah. his ass off. That's unbelievable. He dominated the course yeah, I- with being a smart bloke who is complete control of his game. And speaking of sooks and that not all sooks quit after a six putt, <laughs> here's a quote from someone who I, I think is just a sook and needs to be spoken to by probably his I love your angry parents, tonight. Or maybe Phil. even his new daughter. I don't really know what to say because that's just the complete opposite of what you think a US champ- Open champion does, to be sure, to be sure. He has found a way to do it. Whether that's <laughs> you, good or bad you confusing for the game. Uh, whether, whether are you confusing Ireland with Northern Ireland? <laughs> whether that's good or bad for the game, I don't know, but it's just not the way I saw this tournament being played. Rory, seriously, five years ago, three years ago, uh, everyone was talking about your power game. He's such Everyone a Everyone was talking about the fact you bomb it's- it and you hit it at this trajectory that no one else can keep up with. You didn't expect this is how the tournament was going to be played. What, do we now all have to just tap it and we have to tap it? And, Roy, did you wind back to 75%? Yeah. You Why didn't you just six-putt and withdraw? <laughs> and and not, only, not only that, like it really that, – that does infuriate me as well, that co- comment, because – like what Shooter just said, you know, five or six of the top 12 can't hit it over a jam jar, right? So, but also, you know, Rory, Rory, I think he's um, he was hitting it further than Bryson for the tournament on average. So, what is yeah, he talking he really? about? Yeah, he was yeah, uh, he was sixth and Bryson was seventh in length. He wasn't yeah. even the longest. But if you look, I don't have any authority on this stat that I'm about to give, but anyone that Neither finishes in the top five strokes gain putting yeah. – any week on tour is probably going to be in the hunt. Of course they're going to be in the hunt, but not only that, and this is the point, and I just want to focus on Bryson a little bit, but he <laughs> he missed almost every green, like if, other than 14. He was missing fairways where you need to miss fairways, and yeah, it was a long way down. Yeah. But potentially, Rory, he was hitting driver when you decided to hit three on. So man up mm. and get a better caddy. Get, sure, that his caddy might hand you the wrong club from time to time, but but change your caddies if you're going to blame strategy. And this is the thing about Bryson, and I've spoken a couple, a couple of times on previous podcasts about Jim Collins and good to great and this idea of rinsing your cottage cheese. Bryson is in more control, and this is not a, oh, he's going to change the world, but he has gone out of his way to be in more control of every element of both his game and his life to suit his method which might not be the perfect method, but it is his method. He is in the same level of control that Tiger was at his peak, that Norman was at his peak, that Jack Nicholas was or otherwise. Everything that is within his control, he is doing. And it was that Dave Scott example of getting it down to rinsing your cottage cheese is mm. a disciplined person with disciplined action. And Controlling the controllables, Phil. What, what I want to know is, is he doing the Hogan and of a night time, getting the warm little uh, – 
I guess, tub of water out and floating these golf balls to see which ones <laughs> oscillate up one way and throwing them out. The, wasn't there that, footage of him? Wasn't there footage of him doing that exact thing a couple of years ago? Probably, I imagine he would because if Hogan did it, he would have been doing it. <laughs> there's, there's lots of. I don't even want to go but, there. But but, but think Disman of, thought Disman <laughs> action leads to breakthrough. It is proven in business. Business and Bryson is treating this as a business. Yeah. He set out with a strategic plan in mind. And he delivered on that plan in the form of a major, and it might be his only major. But if every player in the world, and we spoke about this, were they all prepared to hit as many balls as Greg Norman did? Kipper, we've been through this with Baddeley. You spoke about Baddeley not quite getting to that level. Are they all prepared to work as hard as the leader because leadership takes something? But he said, Mm. in order to do this, what actions do I need to take? I need to get bigger and stronger. I need to be able to power the ball and over the power of the ball. He has goals of living to 190,000. He wants to get his clubhead speed to 135 miles an hour. He still believes there's growth. Mm. He set out with a clear strategy. Rory set out to play, in general, good golf. Rory and and, and DeChambeau have the same mission, which is, oh, we'd like to win some majors. Wouldn't it be great? The difference is is that DeChambeau drilled it down into a strategic plan Mm that had mm. actions associated with it. And I just don't know whether the others do. I think Brooks probably does. Yeah. But I don't I think the others just play, oh, horses for courses is the weakest excuse in the history of the world as opposed to, no, no, my game, and- I'm gonna make the course suit me. Discuss. And to your point, Phil, it kind of proves that he's he's covered he's not just a one trick pony, which is sort of the, the message we're getting from the media and a lot of people that he's just this one he's just a big bomber. But you've got to have that complete game if you want to win majors. It's that simple. I mean look at Adam Scott, here's here's something that, that sort of surprised me when I when I found this today. Scotty made more birdies for the week than Bryson. In fact, he had the second most birdies of the entire field, Adam Scott. He finishes tied for thirty eighth spot. How many feet of putt? And it's um, probably <laughs> that thirty-eight, but it's still it's still all it's all about that consistent putting. It's all about that that complete game. So I'm, I'm just not sold on this this power narrative. Is it fair to say that Bryson has learned how to drive and putt for show and do? I reckon it's a, it's almost he's loving the fact people are talking about it. But very good by the way, Dennis. But um, like as I said, the guy's the complete package, and I reckon further your point, Phil. He. He has made the most of who he is because he hasn't got the natural talent, and that's undeniable, of a Rory. I mean, that guy's got so much skill and talent. But to to do what Bryson done, he's, he's worked his way through it, just like great tennis players that worked their way through everything, like a Hewitt, made the most of what he got. You know, Philippus is absolutely not. Right? It's the same same thing in, in, in other sports. It's, it's that whole thing of talent and talent and application, isn't it? So I think he's done that better. And then the question – is though the, the, I suppose the follow up to that, did power if you were to, did power win the U.S. Open? It's not a bad question because it kind of it sort of poses a you know a corollary crest question. Does does one flow into the other? So does his driving improve his approach, yeah. his proximity stats? Well, should it should it be easier to you know it, it's easier to get closer yeah. on a shorter shorter approach? And you know with Bryson, yeah, maybe yes that does apply to a degree, but he doesn't. It doesn't when you get the field and even that that early field, it doesn't extrapolate like extrapolate out like that. So power was an element. I can for actually sure. answer. I can answer this actually technically, Dames, because mm. I used to work for a technically company, answer yeah, or a answer technically. That, that, well, both. <laughs> Give us some <laughs> um, technically. I used an to work for a company that actually got all of that data and put into line plots, thousands of data points for drives and all the rest of it, and they could give you a numbered figure 
on how far you hit the golf ball and give that how much that's going to actually improve your score to the from from a score point of view. Now, no strokes gained and all the rest of it does that. But in terms of Bryson's ability to hit it as far as he hit it, he's still hitting. He's hitting 1% less fairways than he was hitting when he was hitting at 35 yards shorter. So, he's shorter. still pretty accurate. So, he's- well, Or still uh, he's as inaccurate. Immense, well, he's immensely more accurate, actually. Right, because he's hitting at 35 yards further, yet not offline. losing one percent. Gotcha. Yep. He should be losing about three and a half percent more, or four four percent more in fairways. But he's only losing one, or not even one, actually 0.8, Right, so he's actually got straighter as well as longer. Wow. So it's a double whammy, and then that actually feeds on enormously to all the other stuff, proximity to the hole, and blah 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 blah. But the guy's a jet with all all areas at the moment, and although he's getting kudos for power, to be third in putting at that course, you, you win nearly. Don't so you? the power uh, the power thing, and, and one of the points that was made by one of the other sooks is that, well, and in fact, not sooks. He, there's <laughs> two quotes here, and name just because names. I'm in a quoting kind of mood from Xander Shafofloffel of the and Kipper, nice pick by the way, he has to break through eventually. Everyone talked about hitting fairways. It's not about hitting fairways. It's about hitting on the correct side of the hole and hitting it far so you can hit a wedge instead of a six iron out of the rough. And I think this is the summary of Bryson. The only way to make a course really hard is to firm up the greens and grow the rough. You'd rather be the guy in the rough with a lob wedge than an eight iron. So the reality is is that he was still missing fairways. But you give yourself loft, and as you know, Kip, with all your teaching, give yourself loft out of the rough and your margin for error dives dramatically. Which followed this up then from Harris English, and and this this is a humble guy who's just gone. We just saw something amazing, mm. you know. We when we're all struggling, it, yeah. he won. It's incredible what he can do out of the rough. It's a game that we've never really seen before, which is just that. Oh, we, that's bullshit. No, no, but it's a and power game. That. It's actually saying I want to be in the rough. Yeah, exactly right. But but we saw this with Tiger. Right. But he he was only eleven when Tiger was around. He, it's, he's, he's a denier. Yeah. He's a denier. He doesn't reckon COVID exists either. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it is that idea that power. Uh, so so Bryson powers the rough, and they were talking about Matt Wolf. You know, hits two fairways and shoots sixty five because he powered the rough. And there is a theory that I heard about balls coming out of the rough fly straighter. So if you can run mm. the ball up to the green, or if you're given openings at the front of the greens, you actually if you're coming out of the rough. Even with the side wind, crosswinds into the wind or otherwise, the ball is going to fly straight around the rough and normally lower. Yeah, so so which then so therefore, if as winged foot was set up, it's actually not a bad setup to be coming into the greens <laughs> from out of the rough because you're not having to fly hazards, which might mean a bit of a, a rethink. Which leads to my next question. Hopefully, we're done with that topic. My next question is: What can a golf course do <laughs> to defend itself? Now, given the fact that we've made it longer, we've made fairways tighter, we've made rough thicker, we've made graduated rough. You know, what's left? Because I've got myself a theory. What about a big boulder right in the middle of the green? Now, to move it, a movable object. Yeah. Well, I've got probably not the right answer you want to hear, but a serious one is that they've got to make courses go fat to narrow. They don't do that very much in and around these zones that pros hit it that far on. If you go play most of the courses around the world and you hit it as far as Bryson, you're hitting it into areas that course designers generally don't make trouble. They make trouble for all the Joe punters, the poor people that can't hit the ball 200 metres. It's a joke right? when you look at actually that it really is. It's really frustrating if you take a client out 
to play, how hard it is for them and how easy it is for you because yeah. you, you're over most of the trouble. So these, these short to narrow holes, they set up a quite a few in the States like that where you've got to pick your potion. Do you lay up or do you go for this you know, narrow corner that you, know, you can take triple from? But they, 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 they've got to do that more if they're, if they're running out of, out of land. What about if they make courses shorter? So, right. so one of the issues we've got is that if they're going to be sooking and if Rory's going to be sooking about a bloke who actually hits it further then, dominating because he's out of the rough and Rory was too busy crying than getting on with the game, whereas Bryson was there counting. He was sooking. Uh, yes. <laughs> that is it. That is it. But what if they actually could reduce the length of the course, which actually brings the entire field closer but it, it is all risk-reward. Yeah, you know, there might be five par fours you can drive. And we think mm. about – I'll go back to Royal Composite. There might be five par fours you can drive. Mm. And even postman Paddy was, what, six under for the first eight holes on the last day at Royal and I, I think finished four under or would have been the equivalent of four under for the day when he won because the course ends up grinding you back. And I know there's these other elements mm. that, that come mm. into play. But maybe the best way of evening up the longer hitters with the shorter ones is – by just making the shorter ones able to reach but, I, but I'd have two points with that, Phil. One would be what? why should these guys who have built up a skill be brought back to everyone else when that's their advantage, that they've worked so hard to, to get, one? And two, won't the sookers and the whingers just say that, oh, well, now they're, they're coming in with a nine iron and I still have to use a seven iron? It's the same argument. It is the same argument, which is a perfect lead-in to my next question about bifurcation then. Shooter. <laughs> because I, I swear you'd think that was set up, but <laughs> from a bifurcation. <laughs> no, no, but if we now deal with bifurcation, is, is Phil running it tonight? He's, he's just he's doing just, a he's one on fire. Job. He's, he's, is it potential? He's leaving me, leaving me with my cocktail. Happy <laughs> well, That's because you're drinking the down at Jeff. <laughs> down at Jeff. One down down drop one. But when it comes to bifurcation, would bifurcation not also narrow that gap between the longest and the shortest and therefore actually penalise a Bryson? Because I actually agree with you. He's, as we spoke about before, and even Rory, no, I don't want to give him credit. Give me someone else. Tony Fennell for now, bombs it with ease. If Fennell could putt like Bryson, he's won 15 times or 10 exactly, times. That's oh, exactly, exactly, right. Right. exactly right. So the issue is here is that whilst all the crybabies are crying, Bryson learned to putt. Someone else learned uh -oh. how to putt, didn't they, <laughs> Shooter? <laughs> Someone learned to putt. Happy Gilmore learned to putt. It's yeah, it's yeah. actually we're living the movie. We're not living Caddyshack anymore. We're not living the Cinderella story. We're actually living Happy Gilmore, where a guy who hits it miles off the tee learns to putt and keep a putting, mm. as we know. That is absolutely outstanding from you, Philip. That just uh, I just I've got to sit back and just enjoy. It. I've got to let that Next seep in. That is very good by you. Next week, we've got to have a uh, how many flowed on in a row there. I reckon it was eight straight. It was, it's a definite I'd like record. I'd answer them in order. Philly's learned how to pod. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, no, is there, what, It was oh, really on, more a rant than it was a question. Yeah. I'm going to turn that into a question. Right. Does this prompt bifurcation? And if it does, does bifurcation not punish the guy who and the group of people who, Damo, to your point, have busted mm. their ass to create a competitive advantage that is also sustainable. Discuss. You go, Dan. No, I don't think it will, no. In short, mm. basically, well, this- well, what's bifurcation? But with bifurcation, Phil, but, but <laughs> are you talking about, Phil, are you talking about bifurcation within the tour itself or bifurcation between amateurs and professionals? No, between amateurs and professionals. Well, I don't think that would have any effect in the professionals playing, would it? It would because if we're reducing distance things go, 
let's say let's say we take twenty five percent of potential length off mm. golf pros, then at seventy five percent is still the hundred. So the field has been brought closer to Bryson yeah, comparatively. Enough. Is my um, is my point? It's, I'm I'm trying look, to pretend. Look, I that think I it'll be know sad. I think it would be really sad if they did go down that track because I think I mean the guy he's won one major. Let's let's just let's just yeah. settle down a little and, bit here. I mean the guy he's won his first major. It's not like not like Tiger who was dominating fields forever. But again, why do why do we need to bring everyone up to up to the same <laughs> thing uh, up to the same point? And why can't we just celebrate greatness and and skills that people have over others? Remember the infamous comments: if they're ever going to have rough at Augusta, it's because of one man, right? It's happened before. Right, it's the same stuff. It's just, I don't know, everyone. But as I said in my love, I love people are talking about it. I love it's. It's he's won it's one it's major. I mean, seriously, yeah. oh, only takes with, one goat, Damo. That well, apparently, or one bat. <laughs> Matt Wolf, very quickly. <laughs> Matt Wolf clearly hits it a long way. Just trying to stay on topic, but <laughs> do do we like his? Do we like his swing? His little his little jiggy before he gets going. His little trigger because I absolutely love it. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's one, one of the, the coolest happened. things I've seen in golf. It's just, he's it, it, yeah. his own guy. You know it's him every time. You know, the kids are getting up, copying it. I love it. Hmm. I think it's awesome because it also just shows, hopefully, people that there's not this cookie cutter. You don't have to look great, right? You just have to be fundamentally sound, and he's got it all. Does maybe. he just use that as a trigger to get himself going, um, Dees, or is there a technical reason for it? No, no, that's a pure, pure glitch, a uh, start glitch. A lot of hard oh, like a stutter, kind of Roger. like a stutter type thing. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah just yeah, sort of, but just just a trigger, like Roger Davis, you yeah. know, the old forward push. Yeah, the dodge yeah. and the hip, hips open. Ray Floyd. There was heaps that that have a trigger. It's the the interesting thing about Matty is he triggers it two seconds before he pulls the trigger, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's it's a it's a well, I don't know even what you'd call that a pre-trigger. It's like so, a pre-record. Uh, now I'll yeah, love it. So as as my final. Question regarding US Open, and I'll say my final question. Give me the upside of Bryson <laughs> and what the US mean? Open. Give me, the, give me the positive. So we're, there's a lot of crap about, oh, we've got to wind this back and we've got to wind this back and the panic and all the rest of it. Just give me the positives. Give me the upside, the flow on to the kids at the driving range. Give me the flow on. Just let's talk positive Bryson. Number one, golfers on tour now have someone to chase in one one spot, um, which is obviously the length of the tee. But sort of to Kipper's point earlier, you're going to just see you're going to see the happy Gilmore swing at the uh, at the ranges now. <laughs> you're going to see kids just trying to muscle up and give it everything, which is magnificent. And one of the positives that I, I sort of have seen in this now technological age where everything's starting to be measured in our sport, right, everything, which is brilliant. We've got the type of sport where the ball's stationary and the player stands still and, and, and has, a, uh, has a crack at it. The beauty of it is we can compare ourselves. Mm. You can't compare yourself to LeBron James shooting a three-throw because or, or, or yeah, a jump can. shot. Yeah, I can. I'm You just can't. <laughs> His will be right? good. Well, you just can't. But you can, can now you can legitimately uh, stand on a range with a launch monitor and go rip and go, geez, I'm – 50 mile an hour under Bryson. <laughs> like you, you can compare yourself to greatness. I, Phil, I love it. Phil's going to be a bit scared. <laughs> he's going to be just crying, <laughs> seeing how far he's got to get anywhere near him. Well, well, uh, this is the exciting thing, Phil. We got some. We got to go over this again. But you're, uh, you must be g'd up for your uh, your distance game. Operation coming. champ is ready to roll out. Mm. It's now Operation Bryson. I've got to put on <laughs> fifty eight kilos. <laughs> well, I was I was going to talk to Damon off. Uh, off I can help you with that, so Phil. That's going to be. That's my biggest challenge. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not your biggest challenge. I mean, sure, you've got to lose fifty-eight. It's it's um, stay at home and eat chips. That's pretty much it, isn't it? 
But I think that I think it's COVID for another year. I think the fact that to your point. So let's get kids at driving range the same, and maybe it doesn't have the flow on because the media, unfortunately, when Tiger did what Tiger did, and I'm not going to compare the two. I'm not comparing Bryson to Tiger because it's like comparing saying Colin Morikawa is the second coming. Yeah, he's won one major. He's got a different game and he's got a strategy. So let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. But if it prompts people at the range to giggle and see how close they can get to the back and just swing it hard and swing for the stands, I think that's cool. Like, mm. I just think it's mm. cool. I don't know what the fear is in it because the reality is, is when they get out on the golf course and they're barely clipping the heel of the club, they're going to need the Ping G425 Max. They're going to... You know, they're going to need yeah. all these other tools to help them. Yeah, and the beauty of that also is that for years, that's what people have been doing at the range mm-hmm. anyway, but every single time they go and play, they take the foot off the throttle and they've been yeah. told, you know, slow down, you know, find a fairway, and they may now just throw caution to the wind and go, well, if I'm going to miss this fairway, I'm going to miss it, I'm going to miss it wide. Go for so, it. Absolutely. So using this example is that my lad, when he's shooting basketball around in the backyard or at school or otherwise, unless he's playing me because he just gets tailed up, I'm sure he's 13. But when he hits a shot and when his mates hit a shot, they call out Kobe. So the reality is at the driving range, and it might be people of our vintage, it might be people in the 30s, the 20s, or it might be kids. When they try and pin the ears back and hit it, they're not saying Rory. This Pythagoras. This might be a bit of a firecracker up Rory's arts <laughs> to give himself a bit more marketability before John Rahm takes all his money. But they're going to give it the – oh, watch this. I'm going to go with the Bryson. Einstein. Yeah, but there's no bad in that. Mm, that's fantastic. What it is no, is just saying no. latch, on to, latch on to a personality and let's see where it takes us. Now lads, now, lads, it's very important that we reflect on things in, in life in general and – I think especially this week, we should reflect on our tips of last week. I'm I'm pretty sure, Phil, you wanted to put yours up against mine. And uh, so I finished third. Where'd you finish? Louis Eustazen, by the way. Uh, That was a fairly decent tip, if I may say so myself, Pat. She's I tell you what, you're still spewing you didn't put coin on it, aren't you? You know what? I ended up getting a little bit on him. (laughs) Well, well done. On the final day when he was coming second. So here's why it's important listening, kids. When... (laughs) You watch all these ads and Alan Iverson is on the ads and he, he mumbles something about pay it early, pay it early, which I've worked out is pay him out early. I just assumed that if Postman Paddy was leading it halfway, that I'd just be cashed out and I was done and I'd have, you know, bragging rights <laughs> for the rest of time. What I didn't know is that for some reason golf is excluded from pay him out early and as a result, I didn't win any money on Postman Pat. It turns out that I didn't mean, win any money on Jason Day despite him being a great putter, hitting it miles off the tee and straight, having an incredible short game because he, he was obviously consoling Danny Lee. Um, Kipper and I did uh, did have a little bit of a chuckle when you uh, <laughs> when you tipped the, the big daisy. Oh, don't worry. We'll get on to your other two tips. No, no, no. It's all the way. So all matters. three of mine, mate. No, all three of mine made the cut. So and from DJ's point of view, uh, unfortunately for DJ, a bad first round in the US Open. Geez, didn't he come back? Makes it just too hard to catch up. And I think all credit, this is what DJ has gone from flat track bully. Johnny Miller. I, I think he's grown a little bit this week mm. because he knuckled at the same time as yeah, Danny I Lee agree. was bolting for the car. DJ was grinding, and it's very rare that he's ever in a position where he has to do that. And so I think DJ is going to be one of the big winners out of the US Open. Kipper, you backed Xander, who also apparently did okay. (laughs) 
And then my other two yeah, roughies. Don't worry about your other two roughies. <laughs> we didn't make the cut in our, our demo as All a right, team. So, for- Phil, I think it's time to start moving on now. Have you got any, uh, any questions from the gallery? <laughs> Snedica. Really? One question from the gallery, Kipper. Only. And I'm not going to say who this one was because he's already asked some other questions during our journey. John from Chicago. <laughs> What bags, did you, what bags did you knock back at the peak of your cutting powers, if any? Because he was struck by the fact that after Allenby fired you for the 78th time at the 2006 US Open, you said that that was the end of your cutting on the US Tour. So, therefore, you have a good reputation, Kipper, of being one hell of a caddy. What bags did you knock back? It's interesting. After I quit, I got a few phone calls from uh, one of the trainers on tour he, who used to be like a <laughs> like a dealer. He'd deal out caddies. Oh, the caddy <laughs> pimp. It, it was bizarre. It's, it was. It was like a drug dealer, but he ended up being a caddy dealer. Yeah, and, and he'd contact me and he said, I've got a player, but he wouldn't say who. He goes, are you in or are you out? And that, that was because they, they, they don't want to yeah. tell you who straight away so that it changes your opinion. And I'd continually say- Absolutely no, right? And so while I was on tour, there was a few that, that I could have done in off weeks that I didn't do. Yeah, like a, a couple of guys, but no real outstanding names. Norman one time wanted me, but I had to caddy. Or not had, I was already caddying. But yeah, look, it was basically just once I was out, I, I really wanted to get out because once you're, you're in that life, it's very hard to break free. Like you're a caddy for life, effectively. So I tried to make a break for it and, and therefore didn't want to know who, who was. <laughs> so you never found out. Powers, at the peak of your powers, just as you can be delisted, you can move on. So did you just make it clear that you're loyal and on with bads or on with. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So that's a bit th- weird. That was the one thing. I, well, it sort of was, but you got to understand when I was out there, like it changed a lot, even. When I was there, but as as I got to there, cutting was starting to become a profession that you could earn good money on because of Tiger and Norman and obviously previously Nicholas and that building up this. Then all of a sudden, caddies, there was a real big job. Like you could earn hundreds of thousands of dollars a year if you were good. So the rough was going, the roughies were going out and diligent workers were coming in. And it was an interesting time to be, be involved. So at, the, at that point, right, when, when I decided to try to make a break for it, I honestly knew from the bottom of my heart because I'd made a break for it once before with bats and then I went back to it because I wasn't a good enough player. And I knew that if I did that again, I, I knew I was never getting out because I was going to be on a good-ish bag for the rest of my life, swapping around or whatever, and there was no other job in the world that was going to pay me a couple of hundred grand a year to do what I was doing with no real credentials. So I, I had to get out and then not look back if I was making that choice. Otherwise, I'd still be there. And then I'd have no real family life and no anything, and, and I wasn't yeah. prepared to do that. Good answer. Good answer. Mm. But in your time on tour, Kipper, and as we like to leave yes. our podcast with something a little bit special from the coffers of Kipper, have you got a lovely <laughs> little tale for us to finish off our podcast for this week in our US Open recap? Well, out of all the things that we went over tonight, the one thing that stuck in my little head was how – time wasters can affect people that don't time waste. And then I thought to myself, what else have I seen that can affect you on course? And there, there is a man and his name, and I'm not going to not name him this time, it's Rory Sabatini. <laughs> that man, if you play with him, he can he can affect everything you do, right? <laughs> I've seen it firsthand. I was catting for bads in a, in a US Open pre-queue, probably back in 2001, would have been, or yeah, about that. Anyway, Rory didn't make the tournament, so he was uh, pre-queuing as well. We got paired with him, off we go. And it's just brutal. It's 36 holes, you play all day, morning and night, 
and you got to go super low to have a shot. You just you got no chance otherwise to, to do it in the final stage. And um, anyway, so we we're playing all day, and after round one, uh, morning round, Bad shoots I think two or three under, and Rory's like one over. I want to say. And shakes Aaron's hand on the 18th and says, I'm not coming back for the 18th hole. 18th hole, you, you, I've had enough with this crap, blah, blah, blah. And he'd been just a tip rap for the whole 18 holes anyway, right? Oh, we're just walking off when we're hitting. Like, he'd hit and he'd walk off. Like, it just – because Aaron was so young. Like, Aaron was just a really young little sort of kid, even though he was on the scene for a year or so by then. He just had no respect. Like, it was unbelievable. And I don't care if he hears this. I really don't because it was just a disgrace. Anyway, the whole day like, – for that first round, first 18 was annoying – and then he's like, I'm not coming back. So we go, okay. So we had lunch or the bite to eat. And then we go to the, the, the next tee to go again. And he just walks across the fairway. I'm like, oh, he's playing again, is he? All right. Because we we're ready to go with our score or just, just, just a score on ourselves. Anyway, Walsh is across. Oh, I'll just, I'll, I'll play for a few hours. If I don't make birdies, then I'll go home. Okay, great. So plays for a few hours, doesn't do too bad, makes one or two, and then has like two doubles in a row or something on the outward nine. Gets to the ninth hole and he's fuming, right? And he's like, that's it. I'm not playing. But it was so far. The ninth hole didn't come back to the clubhouse. So, it was so far away that he had to keep playing, <laughs> right? And all I said to Bads as he as he's like literally hitting the – doing everything he possibly could to, to distract us. As he walks the next tee, I'm like, I just hope he gets to 11 because I knew 11 was the furthest point and he's made like double-double <laughs> to 11 when he's like, you know, six over. Anyway, hangs in there, makes one or two more and we're doing all right. We're like five under at this point. We're like, we've got a shot here and we've got three to play and it's like par four, par four, par five. I forget the Innis books it might have been. I can't remember the course, but anyway. Long story short now, Rory gets up there, got no chance at all of making the thing. And drives, puts one on the green, holes a 45-footer for Eagle <laughs> on 16. Hits a wedge which spins from the back edge of the green down to a foot, taps in for birdie on 17. Par 5, 18, goes driver, three wood, cans one from the front of the green, probably 35, 40 foot in the hole. So, finishes eagle, birdie, eagle to finish, I think, six under. We par the last, bad horseshoe, 17 and 18, and we miss by a shot and Rory gets in. And I, I've never been so angry in my life and- Aaron at that point wasn't having a great time in the US tour and and he he like Aaron is the most gentleman person you'll ever meet and he almost didn't shake his hand and I'm, I just couldn't believe what I'd seen so in terms of distraction he got us and uh, I'll never forgive him for that <laughs> <laughs> and on that note we'll bring this tenuous links golf podcast to a close be sure to keep supporting us by watching golf barons on demand on KO and Foxtel and for our US and UK listeners keep watching our first season which is available on Amazon Prime finally head over to baronslife.com and sign up to get reminders about this podcast and to check out the latest issue of Barron's Life Golf and Lifestyle magazine with plenty of game-changing content inside. Until next time, Barron's, add some swagger to your swing. <laughs>